1960, Alfred Hitchcock made some fuck-off movie with a television crew because he had some time on his hands, and it became his most iconic movie that he ever made. No, I'm not talking about Rope. I'm talking about Psycho, which I watched. I meant to do the thing where I say, that's right, this week I watched Psycho. Yeah. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tinted Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. I think that's how this show opens. I haven't done a solo episode in a while. Again, I'm probably being very confusing with the fact that I don't know what my uh, release schedule is for this shit, but yeah, that's right. I watched uh, Psycho, um, and it was it was an interesting experience because... Uh, let's just get this part out of the way first. Um, so the uh, there was a theater in my town. It's not even like a normal theater. It's more of like a theater where they host shows, like music and stuff. But for some reason, they were showing Psycho. And I think they were also showing The Birds, but I didn't know about that. So I only went and saw Psycho. Yeah, so I went. I was like, hey, I can go see Psycho on the big screen. And it'll be cool, like in a crowd of people. And it'll be awesome. Uh, and I'll do a podcast on it. And so... The thing is, the showing was at like 10 p.m., and I went, and I made it. It was all good. I was sitting there. I, I had myself a little beer. I had a cocktail. They called it Bird Attack, I guess. I don't know. It was it was just like ginger beer and rum. Not that anyone gives a shit, but <clears throat> I forgot how hard it is to talk the whole time when it's just me. This sucks. Um, <laughs> uh so yeah, I'm sitting there, I'm watching the movie, spoiler alerts for Psycho, because uh, by the way, this whole episode, spoiler alerts for Psycho. Should I do my summary first? I don't know. Should I? No, I'm going to continue my story, because that makes more sense, right? I get to a certain part in the movie, let's just say there's a body being cleaned up in the bathroom, and the bathroom's being cleaned up. I uh, I, I go out. I'm, I'm done. I, I fall asleep in my chair. I was kind of off to the side. I didn't know how packed the theater was going to get, so I kind of picked this side seat, and I'm just I'm just chilling. I'm watching the movie, and then click. I'm just done. I wake up, and I'm like, oh, shit. How long have I been asleep? And I see someone like I, – I see I see the Sam character, and I was like, okay. I was like, probably not, and then the movie ended. It was it was the last scene of the movie where he's explaining uh, what went on, the, the the psychiatrist guy, and then the movie ends and everyone starts leaving. I was like, oh, fuck. Oops. Uh, so, um, well, that didn't work out very well. I got to see the first half. But yeah, so I uh, I went home, went to bed. I woke up today and I, I watched it again. I watched it from beginning to end. I was actually going to pick it up where I fell asleep, but I just... I just kind of put it on from beginning to end. Because honestly, I don't know if I've mentioned it on this show, but I am 50% deaf. Uh, and so a lot of times in theaters, I, I miss dialogue. And honestly, the sound quality in this theater wasn't great because it's not even really designed to play movies. It's more of a music venue. So like the first, like especially that conversation between Marion and Sam in the hotel early on, I, I didn't catch almost any of it. So I just figured I'd start from the beginning, but I guess that's just me being honest. Full disclosure, can laugh at my dumb ass for paying 13 bucks to go to see Psycho on the big screen and just conking out because I have to get up early in the morning most mornings, and so my sleep schedule just doesn't... I used to be such a night owl. 
well, how much regret? Um, <laughs> saying um a lot. Hey, that'll be fun to cut out later. Uh, hey, I was coming in this like just raging. You know, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I said I'm all alone. I'm all alone. There's no one here beside me. That's from Shrek. I can't cover that, even though it's a classic, right? Memes, everybody. Anyway, I can't remember the uh, order I do this show in, because I haven't done a solo episode in a while. I I can never remember if I do my preconceived notions or my summary first. Every other day, I feel like doing one before the other makes more sense. I'm like, oh, I should do my preconceived notions first, because then I can just talk about my assumptions before I even give the summary. But then I'm like, well, no, just give a summary of the movie up top, so people... No, but then I'm like, well, no, because then preconceived notions, if people haven't seen the movie, they could go along with your preconceived notions. So I don't know. I don't know. Someone tell me what to do. Oh, that's right. I'm doing a solo episode, so no one can tell me what to do. <sighs> I'm going to take a drink now. I never do this show sober, and I'm, I'm wondering what it would be like to try. I wonder how much of a, how much I, uh, what's the word for it? Slur? I wonder how much I slur while I'm doing the show. I probably sound like an absolute alcoholic, which is true. I have a problem, but, you know, I got 99 problems, but I don't have the one that Jay-Z talks about. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, let's do preconceived notions. Okay, this uh, this movie's interesting. I was really excited to do it for the show because I feel like it's the perfect definition of a movie that I should do for Clear Tinted Classics because it's so iconic it occurred to me when they, when, because uh, basically the event popped up and it was like, hey, we're showing uh, Psycho at Embassy. And I was like, I should go to that. And I was like, actually, have, have I ever actually watched this movie before? And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I don't think I have, actually. I think I just remember the shower scene and I remember the reveal at the end. And then, uh, spoiler alert for my references this episode, then uh, Red Letter Media, a YouTube channel, in case you didn't know, that produces content that's way better than anything I'm producing. You should honestly quit right now and just go watch their stuff. It's better than any of my blathering into a microphone. Uh, what if I was just silent for the whole rest of the episode because I actually expected you to just drop right now and then go watch Red Lady, which you should. But they kind of did a retrospective on the all the Psycho movies, which... By the way, there are multiple Psycho movies. I feel like I never even, I didn't even know that. I just knew the one, and then I knew the remake with Vince Vaughn. I, I didn't know that there was like Psycho 2 and Psycho 3 and Psycho 4. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I believe Anthony Perkins is involved with all of them, so that's interesting. Um, but uh, what was I talking about? My preconceived notions? Yeah, it's so. Uh, the, the movie's so iconic, but I, I I had never seen it. I was watching that Red Letter Media review, and they were talking about certain scenes. I was like, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. And I was like, holy fuck, I haven't seen this movie. I thought I had. Oops. So I thought it'd be an interesting one to do for the podcast. And I mean, in terms of my preconceived notions, it, it, this, this one's hard for this one because, I mean, there are some real obvious ones. I, I mean, the movie has been fully spoiled before me before I went and saw it, you know, I knew, I knew Marion died about an hour in. I know that Norman Bates is, see, this is why I didn't want to do the preconceived notions before the summary. That's right. That was what my reasoning was. I was going to do the summary for the psychopaths that haven't seen Psycho. No, because then I would still spoil it in the summary. So no, I don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. Whatever. Who gives a fuck? 
This is, this is off the rails already. This is insane. God damn it. I am so bad at this. I, I the thought if I did the show, I would like get better at talking, but apparently that's not the case. So that's 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 a good thing to to notice that I just going to be forever bad at this. <laughs> yeah, but I, I knew she gets stabbed in the shower. I knew there's the crazy music. I know Norman Bates is his mother. The mother's dead. I, I have the shot of the skeleton, mother, the skeleton being turned around in her chair. Like, that was locked into my brain. And that was why I thought I'd seen the movie before. Because I was like, I've seen the fucking ending. Surely I've seen the movie. That makes sense, right? But I, I just... Now that I finally watched, I was like, no, I have definitely never watched this from beginning to end. Because there is just the whole beginning chunk before Marion gets to the hotel. I didn't remember any of that. I It wasn't even like a, oh, right, this. It was, I, I have no fucking clue. The stuff with her b- boyfriend at the hotel, the crazy Texas rich guy that like hits on her. All the stuff with her driving with the voiceovers and stuff. I didn't. Nope. Didn't know any of that. It was all completely new to me. And then basically everything after she gets murdered, I didn't remember. Like, yeah, but we'll get into that. So, I mean, other than, you know, the iconic shower scene and the, uh, I mean, like I said, I watched the Red Letter Media Review. So whatever they talk about in that, that was clearly, obviously, I guess, for lack of a better term, spoiled for me before I actually went and watched the movie. But, I mean, going in, I just, I didn't know. I couldn't remember how long it took for her to get murdered. And I couldn't remember what all happens afterwards. So I kind of, it's weird. I like went in knowing all the beats, but it still was kind of a blank slate for me in terms of, I didn't know how long the scenes were. I didn't know who we were spending our time with after I, I knew her sister goes looking for her, but I wasn't sure. Like in my head, I was like, surely they focus more on Norman after he does the killing, even though so that's the thing with this movie. Because you, you kind of, I'm in a weird position because I'm, I'm watching this movie. I've never gotten to see this movie spoiler free, right? And that's that's the thing you have to think about with this movie. What was it like watching Psycho in 1960, or you know, any time between that and basically before the internet became a thing? Because surely, surely there was people that were shown the movie Psycho in like the 70s and 80s and that still hadn't been spoiled for them so they could like watch it and experience it for the first time because the movie does like I, I try to watch movies like that because even though I'm I'm because the thing is I'm watching them for the first time but sometimes even I can't avoid certain things that are going to color my viewing I can never quite go in with a blank slate but I was trying to watch this movie and really put myself in the shoes of what an audience would be feeling and I can't I mean I can't wrap my head around how things were at the time, you know, like the, cause like the sexuality and the violence for 1960s was apparently like insane ne- by nowadays standards. It, it's just, everything is left to the imagination. You don't see anything. There's no actual nudity. There's no, none of that. So it's like, it's very vanilla. I'm pretty sure this movie would probably get a, a PG 13 rating today. I, I don't think there's anything that makes it an R. I don't even remember anyone cursing. There's no nudity. There's no actual sex. All the violence is very implied. So it's kind of funny just to think about that. But they do a good job with the parsing out the spoilers and stuff. So you, you, if you're going in fresh, the main character, they do such a good job like putting you in her shoes. We're with her the entire first chunk of the movie. It's not a single scene that she's not in. We're always with her. We're in her head while she's driving. We feel tension on her behalf. And we understand why she's doing what she's doing. She's Obviously, her job isn't, it's not terrible, but it's like, well, who, who the fuck wants to do this for the rest of their life? She likes this guy. 
She's like, if I get this money, we can just go be happy. Like, they do a really good job with that first scene. I feel like I'm getting into the movie already. Hmm. Let's do a summary real quick, and then let's just get into it, because I, I feel like I can't do my preconceived notions without just talking about the movie. Summary of the movie, if you are a complete psycho, ha ha, ha ha, puns, puns, because I think I usually say psychopath. If you're, if you're listening to this episode and you haven't seen the movie Psycho, it's worth watching. Go check it out. I mean, even though it's an old, old movie, I, I was going to say it was 40 years old because I subtract everything from 2000, but it's it's almost 60 years old now. Jesus Christ. Um, but it's, it's a good movie. It's Hitchcock. I mean, the guy's like one of the most famous directors of all the time for a reason. He, he made a lot of good fucking movies, and this is one of his best ones. So go, go, fuck, go fucking watch it. But if for some reason you're, you're a fan of mine, <laughs> oh, that, oh, shit. Oh, that made me laugh. Uh, fans of me. Uh, I'm not even a fan of me. And you shouldn't be either. What are you doing with your life? But to summarize the movie, <clears throat> oh, God. Oh, shit. I'm going to have to cut all this of me choking on liquor. That's great. That's fucking awesome. Awesome. I should have hit pause, but I didn't because I'm kind of far away. Holy shit. That was bad. Um, our main character is Marion. She works at, I guess, either some sort of like real estate. It must be like a real estate office because I don't think it's not, it's not a bank because she has to go deposit the money at the bank. So it's I guess it's like some real estate office or something. We were, the first scene of the movie is we're introduced to her and Sam, her lover, who it's funny because it's not even like he's not like a married man. That was like I, I barely caught any of the conversation uh, at the beginning. I'm really getting into the movie again. I shouldn't summary. Marion steals some money. She goes to a hotel. She meets a guy. She decides maybe she's actually going to go back with the money that she stole and try to get forgiveness. She gets murdered by somebody. Some people come looking for her. The detective that's looking for her also gets murdered by somebody. Her sister and and her, her lover show up trying to figure out what happened. Eventually, they discover the guy that was running the hotel is a complete psychopath who also thinks he's his own mother and murders people. They stop him, and he kind of he gets put away, presumably, for the rest of his life. Uh, and it's kind of a downer ending, I guess, for lack of a better term. But that's the movie. Yeah, like, I mean, woman steals some money, she gets murdered, the movie goes completely off the rails, we find out he's just a complete crazy person, even though the movie does a good job of kind of trying to pretend like he's this beleaguered son, and his mom's the one that's doing the murderings, or someone that's acting like his mom, because we find out later that his mom supposedly died, so then we're like, who is the mom, then what's going on with that? But it's just him, he's a psycho, everyone everyone knows. I mean, you have to be completely ignorant of movies to not know psycho. That's why I feel so uh, like doing this is besides the point. What the fuck am I doing? Jesus Christ. Anyway, but yeah, so let's, let's get into the movie. Let's just get into the movie. And I I try to remind myself to focus on the stuff that I'm as a first time watcher. That's not, uh, cause that's like my angle is I'm not coming this from like a savvy, Oh, I've, I've analyzed this movie 6,000 times perspective. This is the first time I really just watched it from beginning to end. And, and so right off the bat, we get a good scene with her and her lover, Sam, who when I was in the theater, I thought, like, he kept talking about his wife or his ex-wife. And I was like, oh, so he's, like, married and he's, like, cheating on his wife. And that's why this is so, like, illicit and and stuff. It's like a tryst or, or whatever. Um, but no, he just, 
He's just not doing that great, I guess. But she's still into him, and he's into her, but for some reason they can't be together. Neither of them is, like, being dishonest. They both seem to really like each other, so that whole dynamic is weird. She's got a great line where he he's like, he's like, yeah, you can stay in my shack and lick the stamps of the envelopes of the checks I send my ex-wife. And she's like, I'll lick the stamps. I'm like, man, this chick is like ride or die. Like, I feel like it gets me on her side right away. I'm just like, she she just likes this guy and he seems kind of sad, but he's not like, doesn't seem like a terrible guy. So, uh, and just, it, the movie does a good job of just, uh, there's a lot of like exposition, but it's handled in a lot better of a way than a lot of movies handle it. Like you, you get where they're at in their lives and they got they got a little bit of like on the nose dialogue and ham fisted stuff, but there's like a lot, a lot of good setup in this scene too. I, again, I, I try not to come. I try to come at these movies for, from having not seen them before, but it, it's hard not to immediately be like, "Oh, we're starting the movie in a hotel." A major chunk of this movie later is in a motel. There's like a lot of interesting parallels going on, but you know, she goes to work and some insane. Rich, I want to. I always want to call him a cowboy, but I feel like they're kind of in the south. I guess they're in Phoenix or whatever. But he's just all. Uh, I'll never. He has a really great line where he pulls out a wad of forty thousand dollars, and and the other secretary just goes, "I declare," and he goes, "I don't." That's why I have so much money. I was like, "Holy shit, that's a pretty good line." There's a lot. There's a couple of really clever lines that I, I like in this movie. It's like kind of funny. There's like some nice dark humor in the movie and and there's some and there's some clever dialogue like some of it's pretty ham-fisted but it kind of it kind of wafts back and forth like anything anytime that like sam or lila is talking it's like "Ah, i don't really have to pay attention but if if norman or marion or any of the it really fun side characters to talk because these are side characters a lot to uh foreshadow things or deliver like thematic statements through sort of like obvious that's the thing I like about this movie. I feel like if you were watching it for the first time and you somehow had not been spoiled on it, it's fun because early on her boss is kind of interesting and then then the the cowboy guy is way interesting. And then when you got the cop later and he's really intimidating. And then when she goes to the car shop in California, like California Charlie or whatever his name is, um, he's like really crazy now that he's got like this radio announcer voice. Oh, you look like trouble. And they always that's what they always say the first customer's trouble he's like got this like this whole thing going on so i feel like it does a good job of setting up that the side characters are really interesting so that when we finally meet norman i feel like you're kind of lured into a false sense of security you're like okay he's like the proprietor of this motel but he's obviously got a lot of stuff going on but so has like basically everyone else that she's talked to in this movie so you don't think too much of it until it gets further in on him. But yeah, there's some good stuff of her driving, obviously like green screen stuff. Um, but I, I really like the touch of like the voiceovers or her like early on. She's thinking about Sam talking about how he's happy to see her. And then she falls asleep and there's, there's a good scene with the cop where the whole time the camera is just like pushed right in his face and it just makes his presence really intimidating. And that's fun. That, that cop scene's insane nowadays though, because he, he like asks for her ID and she just fully turns her back to him and pulls like shit out of her purse. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it's just no fucking way. Like, uh, it just plays very oddly nowadays because she pulls the money out that she's hidden. I, I do want to say, I guess backtracking a little, a little bit, the, the scene where she's 
packing her bags and decides to take the money is fun. They, they do a good job. There's a couple scenes in this movie where it's just kind of the person kind of wandering around a room, either like packing shit or cleaning shit. And it just lets it sit on them and you can kind of see them. They feel trapped in a way. This movie, like, like it famously Hitchcock used like his TV team to, to shoot the movie, but it's still really well shot and the framing's really good. And it, it I always thought the movie was older than it was because of the choice to put it in black and white, but I guess that was a after-the-fact type of thing where by putting it in black and white, it was easier to let the MPAA board because of the blood or whatever. It's just it's a weird trick because to think like um, it, it's well shot and you get to see her packing, her make the decision. The cop scene is interesting. Uh, that, yeah, that's what I was saying. The cop he he, he looms in the frame. He's really intimidating. He checks her license and gives it back to her. And I just, every time I've ever been pulled over by a cop, it's like such a huge thing. They go to their car, they come back to your car, they go to your car, and they always like tell you when you can go. He, he hands her her license. She just starts up her car and starts driving. I was like, what the fuck is happening? I remember being in the theater and I was just so baffled by the pacing of that scene when she just starts up her car as soon as he's like walking away. To, to go to his car. I was like, what is happening? But then she drives and we get the, ironically with the cop scene, she acts like how you would never act with a cop. But then it is some, it's immediately followed by a scene where I think everyone can personally relate to where there's a cop in your rear view mirror and you're driving and you're just praying that he'll pull off somewhere or turn and you're not doing anything wrong. I mean, she's doing something wrong, but it was just funny. I was curious if that was just something that was, oh, she's done something wrong, so a cop following her is really scary. Or if even back then that was still kind of, a, oh, fuck, why is this cop behind me? I don't like this. I don't like this. I I just related to that super hard. She goes to the car place, and that, that whole scene is, is interesting. That, that whole scene's paced in an interesting way. You know, she wants to buy the car. The salesman's really nice, and but he's a little bit eccentric, and she just ends up getting the car and boning out. It's just, it's good tension. I'm curious, because I, I know this movie, part of the marketing of this movie was them talking about, don't uh, spoil it. You can't come to the theater late and it's, it's big and scary and stuff. But early on, it's, it's less of a horror and more of just good tension building where we're with her and she's tense and she's worried she's going to get caught. And she's starting to kind of doubt herself after she, takes the car, the driving scene. She's hearing a lot of voiceover of people kind of catching on to all the bullshit she's done with the car salesman talking to the cop and hearing her boss and the secretary lady. And it's just, it's good. And, and this is all stuff I hadn't, you know, I didn't remember from the movie. It's it's not exactly, that's not really the part of the movie that's in the zeitgeist, but I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot at this point. And I feel like I'm really with Marion. It's it's funny. The movie sucks you in because like I know she's gonna die, but I get really invested in her journey because she doesn't she doesn't seem like a bad person, but she's done this thing, and I feel like that's something that a lot of people can relate to. Even nowadays, you know, you just feel so grinded down by life and your job, and I know a lot of people can just relate to the feeling if if I just had. Some just some fucking money from somewhere. If I won the lottery or some money just fell into my lap, some like long lost relative died and gave me a million dollars 
my life would be so much better. It, her journey is just very relatable. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I feel like a lot of people probably feel the same way. So it's just easy to get on board for her. And she, she's not done this maliciously. She just kind of wants to carve a new life for herself and her, her lover, who she seems to be really into. I mean, she literally told him she'd lick stamps for him while he sent all their money to his ex-wife. I mean, I feel like she's pretty committed. And then you, you get in, she gets in a little over her head and it's just fun to watch. I, I feel like there's, there's a little bit of, you can see maybe from this movie. I mean, this movie's obviously been aped from a bunch of times, but it's not just the scenes. I feel like the feeling of her journey, there's, there's a lot of Coen brothers to it um, and stuff like that. And I guess I should mention in, in terms of Alfred Hitchcock, I'm, I'm pretty woefully, not boned up for lack of a better term on his filmography. I, I think I've seen, I've seen vertigo. I've seen rear window a couple of times. Rear window is the one I remember the most vertigo. I only watched once in that once. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I have been drinking, I guess Uh vertigo. I've seen once, but I saw that as part of like a, a class and I, I don't even think we watched it in one chunk. I saw it over the course of like three classes. So I remember thinking that movie was really good because I mean it's I think James Stewart, Jimmy Stewart, however the fuck you say it, he's he's great and the mystery is really interesting and I I knew nothing about that movie going in so a lot of Hitchcock movies have like some mystery elements and stuff to them and it's better if you could go in not knowing Rear Window I I knew the premise but I wasn't sure if the guy across the street was a bad guy or not. So that tension plays really well. But other than that, I don't think I've seen anything by him. He's obviously on my list in a big way. I have some of his more iconic movies. There's like North by Northwest and some, I think there's like a spy one uh, and stuff. Boy, I'm eloquent. No, but yeah, those are basically all, the only ones I've seen by Hitchcock. I, I didn't see the birds. I guess I could have seen it at the embassy last night, but I didn't even know it was happening. Um, I remember in the in the Red Letter Media review, they were talking about how every, everyone thinks Psycho is good, but a lot of people don't put it as their favorite. And it was funny. I was watching this movie, and basically up until the point where it cuts to Lila uh, coming to Sam's shop and meeting him, I was sitting there thinking, I, I feel like people are doing that thing where because Psycho's so popular they don't want to they don't want to be obvious and say it's their favorite Hitchcock movie because up until that point the movie is fucking for lack of a better term perfect it's so good all the cinematography's great the tension's great the characters are good the dialogue's good I'm in it big time uh, up until it finally starts introducing these other characters that are going to be running around trying to figure out what happened and then the movie just kind of falls apart a little bit. Yeah. Um, it, it was funny. I remember being like, I really like Rear Window. Because Rear Window is great. And, and I remember liking Vertigo a lot. But this is just doing a lot. I, I really like the themes. Like, I have to go back and watch the other movies again. But, yeah. And, and then, just... Uh, anyway, we're not quite there yet. But she, uh, she she takes her car. She It's raining. She, she goes to the Bates Motel. Boom. And it's it's interesting because watching it for the first time, I, I I see it and I wonder how that because it's just there's the sign it just says vacancy but it's shot so iconically uh, that shot is 
is good. It, it really makes you feel like this is going to be a place. And she shows up, she honks the horn, and we get to meet Norman. And Anthony Perkins comes out, and he's just great. He's just He seems kind of shy and stuttery. They... He he. She signs in. He chooses to give her room. There's this really interesting moment where she says where she's from, and she seems like she's lying. And he kind of looked as though he was gonna give her a different key, and then he reaches for one and gives her that that one. And I always wondered. I say always. I just watched this movie basically for the first time yesterday. I, I was just wondering in that moment what it meant. If he was making a decision in that moment, if that's what it, that was supposed to play as, but uh, they have like a nice little interaction, and he just seems like nice. And I don't know, I don't know how it's hard for me to determine male attractiveness. I'd be curious how people that are attracted to men feel about the guys in this movie because I feel like Sam is pretty hunky, and I feel like Norman is pretty good looking too he, he cuts a good figure he's got like a, a nice face he seems nice and he's sh- he's shy and at first and uh, he just i don't know i i feel like surely there's some people that have been watching this movie for the first time that didn't know all the twists and turns and stuff that thought she was going to show up at this hotel and maybe start falling in love with this guy for a second especially because especially once they start spending some time together they I have a feeling some people maybe think that movie is going to go in that direction a little bit. Because, I mean, they have good chemistry, especially early on when he's just being nervous. And she's obviously nervous because she's, you know, on the run and stuff. Yeah, I just, I thought their chemistry was really good. And she goes to her room, hides the money in some newspaper, which matters in the sense that it's going to be the thing that we see a few times where Hitchcock just keeps lingering on it. And I assume especially for people that thought they were clever. There had to have been a lot of people in the audience that were, oh, that's still in the newspaper. Oh, when he was cleaning up, he didn't he didn't take the newspaper. What's going to go on, go on with this? And it just, that that's one of the big, funny, ironic punches of this movie and that the money ends up not mattering almost at all because it ends up just not being about that. It's just so a red herring that we don't even realize early on. She agrees to have dinner with Norman and they have a really great scene where and even getting to the parlor is fun. He go he goes to go to her room, and he kind of hesitates. And you know, me knowing the twist, I get to kind of watch this, wondering what's going on in his head. Like he doesn't want to go in her room, and she probably doesn't want him in her room, but she's gonna let him in anyway, which is interesting. And he stops. He decides to invite her to the office because before this, we got a scene where him and his mother were yelling at each other about her not coming in the house. Invites her in the office, and then he immediately, as soon as they're in the office, says, oh, let's just go into the parlor. And then we get into the parlor, and there's all the stuffed birds and stuff, and it looks creepy. And and from there, the movie starts getting a little bit creepy, but they they have this really great back-and-forth conversation. I I actually took notes, but I haven't been referring to them at all. Uh, I seem to have hit most of them, though. Uh, Oh, I did did miss a thing where when she's talking to the cop, I, I did get a good laugh where... She says something along the lines of, do I seem like I've done something wrong or something like that? And the cop just goes, frankly, yes. And I was like, well, OK, <laughs> it just it just made me laugh. But they, there's a, there's a great the, the the dialogue scene between Marion and Norman is I mean, it's the best scene in a movie for someone like me, at least. That's all about character and theme. 
it's just so well shot. The camera angles change at the right times. It's it's the best scene in the movie by a long shot. Um, it's, it's great. There's so many spots to talk about. Empty moment when Norman says, you've never had an empty moment in your life. It, it's just interesting golf. He seems like he's establishing this gulf between them, but she kind of looks at him almost in a way where she's she's clearly feeling that he's judging her in that moment. And we know with her, she's kind of working this secretary job and she's stolen this money. And obviously she's doing something for lack of a better term, exciting right now. But up until that point, it, I mean, no, she's not led the most exciting life. So for him to judge her, she's clearly not that excited about it. And he's gotten seemingly nothing going on, which is also ironic because we find out there's a lot of shit going on with Norman even though he just seems like some mild-mannered dude that mans a hotel, it's just—I re- I really like that line. I like the stuff about the traps. We're all born in—we're all in our own little traps. It's in that moment that Marion starts to kind of rethink what she's doing, and, and we get—we get a lot from Norman where he clearly feels trapped in his situation. Where by the end of the movie, it kind of talks about how Norman was always fighting some losing battle against Mother, but. I feel like it doesn't do his personality enough justice. The the hesitation with him and Marion and, and the moments where it feels like he's still there too, especially when he's with other people and, and when he's not murdering them, I guess. Uh, but when he's having conversations with them, he feels very Norman and, and sitting and sitting there with, with her. He, he clearly feels like he's uh, Marion rightly, sees a guy that needs some help and tries to help him and it, and it doesn't work out obviously, but I mean, there's a lot of pain and he's and Perkins is just doing such a good job selling it. Um, and I just love his, I love his bits of monologue too, because I feel like nowadays, especially with monologues where you have to get a lot of information across people want to rush it, but, but this movie's doesn't, this movie's never trying to rush. So he just gets to kind of say his words and he's, letting it kind of tumble out and he can be a little stilted and awkward about it instead of just trying to rush through well my mom's a psychopath and blah 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 but who gives a shit it's fine ha, ha, i laughed it off he just he just kind of lets it all come out slowly well anyway you know uh this and that i just i i that's I, I, something that i do miss about older movies from like the 60s and 70s where they weren't so worried about the audience having adhd and not being able to sit and just watch some people talk for a few minutes it's just it's just nice. You get the classic. Uh, we all go mad. Uh, we all go mad. A little mad sometimes. Wow, I'm butchering it. Butchering it. Holy shit! I just broke my pen. That fucking sucks. Oops. Wish I hadn't have done that. Uh, we all. <laughs> God damn it! Now I'm distracted from the pen thing. We all go a little mad sometimes, don't you? And it's so good. The don't you line happens while we're looking at Marion's face. We could see her take that in. And then say, yeah, because she did. She kind of made a snap decision and her her life is kind of falling apart because of it. It's just it's just so interesting watching these characters. And I'm curious how it plays for someone that really doesn't know what's going on. But since I know what's kind of happened, I, I know they're both just coming from such different places. And the characters in the scene have no idea where either of them is coming from. Marion doesn't know that Norman's crazy and Norman has no idea what all crazy shit Marion's got up to. So it's just interesting seeing these two completely different people sort of weirdly connect for a moment, but then it's kind of over as all the stuff with the uh, mental hospital comes up, which that was another part where 
watching it this time, this time, uh, anyway, I don't know why I keep trying to like catch do gotcha moments on myself. It seems kind of weird, <laughs> but it's just, he, he's, he's really pissed off about the mental hospital stuff. And it made me, he took it so personally. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm curious from a filmmaker's perspective, either from Hitchcock's or the writers or whatever, if that moment's supposed to play like mother coming out a little bit and, and being pissed off about it. Or if, if, if we're supposed to read that at some point, Norman was maybe taken to a mental hospital for a while and he hated it. Cause I think it's really important at the end of the scene uh, Marion excuses herself and says thank you, and then he his response to that is thank you, Norman. He says thank you, Norman, obviously as if to tell her my name is Norman. You say thank you, Norman, and so that scene ends with it feels like he's trying to reaffirm his own identity, but I mean maybe that's maybe mother's completely taken over at that point, and she's just fronting and saying yeah we're still Norman because Marion leaves, and then we. I'm curious how this played for people that didn't know what was going to happen. This is the first time in the movie where Marion leaves and we stay with Norman and we've been with Marion the whole movie. And now we're with this guy and it's, even if you don't really pick on it consciously, subconsciously, there has to be a little flicker that goes off where your, your mind has to, because you've been pulled out of status quo at that point. And then he goes and raises the picture and there's a hole in the wall and he gets to see her in her bra and panties and stuff. And, then the movies gets completely creepy from that point. And so it really takes a tone shift from that. And I guess it, I guess it tries to ease you into Marion's death a little bit by at least from like a writing standpoint in that she's supposedly decided she's going to go back to Phoenix and face the people that she robbed from. So in a, in a way her tiny little character arc has been completed so that when she gets murdered, it isn't, as brutal as seeing someone's like character arc get cut short. Yeah. I, I'm, I've been struggling with, there's a couple movies I watched very recently and I've been wondering if I should talk about them because I have a feeling this, this episode is going to come out a really long time from now. Cause I, ca- I counted recently. I, I think I have 15 episodes of this podcast banked and I haven't released a single one of them as of the time I'm recording this. So presumably even if I started releasing episodes a month from now, this episode probably wouldn't see the light of day for months. So if I did just now start talking about bad times at the El Royale and the new Halloween movie, it would significantly date this. But it's hard not to. Those are so fresh in my brain. El Royale, uh, just because that's a movie that takes place at a motel. And it, it also is set in the 60s. It felt really weird to me that there's no mention of Psycho or Hitchcock or anything. I, I, I guess that movie takes place in, it's one of those like movies where, yes, this, this takes place in a universe where we don't really acknowledge that movies exist because there's so much in that movie that seems like it's aping from Psycho in a weird way. It, it feels like Psycho doesn't get a nod like it should in that movie. I, I almost would have appreciated someone mentioning it at some point because this movie came out in the 60s, or in 1960, and, and El Royale takes place in, I believe, the late 60s. So, I don't know. Give some props. And the reason I thought of it just now, though, was because I just watched the Halloween movie. And that's a, obviously an out-and-out horror movie. And with, with Psycho, it kind of gives Mary in a character arc that we see through to completion in a weird way within an hour of the movie. Whereas the new Halloween movie, I just, I'm not going to spoil it because I don't know when this episode is going to come out, but 
I wasn't that hot on it. And it was mostly because the character stuff. They just didn't see things through. And my favorite character in the movie gets murdered pretty early on before they get to do anything, keeping it really, really vague. So it doesn't spoil anything, but I, I was, I was bummed out when that happened. I, I think part of what, like with a slasher movie, it's, it's a weird thing you have to do. Cause I'm a big fan of the, the Friday, the 13th movies. And a lot of the kids in those movies that get murdered, they kind of suck. And so when they get murdered, you don't feel that bad about it. But I also really appreciate good characters and character arcs and themes and stuff. And so you have to strike this weird balance where if you're going to have characters that we like, if they get murdered, it has to hurt and be earned. I feel like murdering people for shock value is, it's kind of lame. It just, it doesn't, it's, it's never going to hold up on a rewatch either with Marion. She gets murdered and it was the ultimate shock value at the time because we never thought a main character in a movie would just get offed halfway through but it still works because we've gotten to see her go through a journey and, and that's, and it still hurts and even knowing she's going to die when she gets murdered. I'm just like, damn it. That sucks. I wish she hadn't got murdered, but I don't feel blue balled, I guess if that makes sense. Whereas in, in Halloween, there's a couple characters that I was like, Oh, she's cool. He's cool. And then they get murdered and I'm just like, Oh, well, okay. I guess that happened. Whatever. Uh, it just, I, it's tough. Cause I don't, I don't really want to see a return of the slasher movies where all the characters are just super hateable and we're happy when they die. But it's it's a tough line to walk, and I know it's hard, but I don't know. That's I think that's part of why Halloween left me kind of cold. And it's part of why Psycho leaves me a little bit cold from this point on. Marion gets in the shower. We get the iconic shower scene. Fucking everyone's seen it. It's been referenced in 5,000 trillion movies. I mean, it's great. It's it's really jarring. I mean, it's not jarring now because you know it's going to happen, but it's just, it's well shot. It's edited in a weird way that's still to this day kind of crazy. It's just, it taps into that great feeling of you're naked and defenseless in the shower and wet and, and you're you're on this slippery ceramic or whatever, a bath porcelain, whatever the hell a bathtub's made out of. It's just... And just, uh, it just, it, you can't not kind of squirm a little bit when that scene's happening because there's just nothing you can do about it. Someone's just got a big ass knife and they're stabbing you and you're just naked in the shower. It fucking sucks. And the the music's great. That, that was something I wanted to mention because um, I think they said it in the Red Letter Media video, but uh, Hitchcock famously said that the composer borderline saved uh, Psycho. Uh, with it with his with his music in the movie and at the embassy it was hilarious because the opening credits started playing and there was no sound so, like the universal logo plays and there's no sound and i was like oh where's like the and like nothing and i was like okay is there just is it quiet i was like i thought the opening credits had music over it. and the opening credits get almost all the way through without any music and then someone finally, like in the booth, uh, turned the sound on. And, and uh, those those opening credits fucking suck without music. It was, it was crazy. I was just sitting there in my theater seat. And I was like, oh, boy, this is not off to a good start. And then someone turned the music on. I was like, oh, OK. So it's just day to day just fucked up the sound. Thankfully, the sound was on at that. But it was like right at the end when they were when it said directed by Hitchcock. And it was just like, where, where? And I was like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> Uh, wow, I just can't believe I sat through this whole credit sequence like in silence. And nobody made any noise in the audience either, because I have to assume most of the audience was diehard fans. And I, I, I kept looking around 
waiting for someone to do something and be like, and and just say, "Hey, this isn't right." But everyone just kind of sat silently watching. I was <laughs> just kept wondering what everyone was doing. Uh, but yeah, the opening credit sequence without the music was was just a great example of of how much the music matters in this movie. And, and it matters so much to the point where when it's not playing, it's also good because there's major chunks of that scene where the cop has pulled Marion over where there's no music underneath it. And it's just it just makes you kind of uncomfortable the whole time because there's no music and they're just staring at each other for long chunks. And you're just like, fuck, this is so uncomfortable. And then when she finally starts driving away, the music kicks up again. And then you're like tense again. It's, it's just good. The music... I'm not someone that pays attention to the score that much, but obviously the score for Psycho is pretty iconic. So I was paying I was paying attention this time. But uh, Marion gets murdered by presumably some woman. We we all know that it's Norman in a wig, a wig at this point. But if you were if you were watching it for the first time, you don't. But I I did. But it's still it's still well shot. It's interesting. Norman comes in and and acts shocked when he sees her. And there's a great scene where we're just with him for a while as he cleans up. And it does a good job because Marion's dead at this point and you're sitting in your seat and you're kind of at a loss for what to grab onto. And so immediately it's just good filmmaking instinct, I think, to just stay with Norman as he cleans this up. Cause as because we've lost our main character, we're looking for something else to cling on to. So now we have Norman and we're kind of sympathetic. Like he, he, he clearly doesn't enjoy doing it, but he does it in a way that it seems like he's, done it before and so uh, you can't help but feel for him a little bit and it just does a good job and and then this is where the movie kind of falls apart because you know norman's uh, it, it does a good job of making us feel for norman and watching him dispose of the body and we're kind of even as he's watching the car sink i, I was sitting there and i know the car sinks because i know they dredge it out of the water at the end of the movie but and he was watching it sink and it, it stopped sinking for a second. He's kind of staring at it like, oh, shit. And I was like, oh, shit. I, it's just, I just was trying to just watch the movie and be visceral with it. And so even I, in that moment, was uh, just thought, oh, crap, that's not sinking. What's, what's he going to do? And that just tells me that I'm kind of ready for this to become Norman's story. But then the movie just decides it's not Norman's story anymore. We cut to a hardware shop. And Lila shows up to meet Sam, and then a detective guy is there, and we don't know what his deal is. And that whole scene was super boring. And then the detective goes and interviews Norman, and Norman's back in the movie, and I was excited. Norman's such a shitty liar, and I just, I, I, I'm worried. I'm just, I'm weirdly worried for Norman at this point because, I mean, at this point, he's the one that I care about the most in the movie because we've spent the most time with him. That's kind of the dirty trick that movies play on you in a way where they can just make you spend time with a character regardless of how inherently likable they are. It's just, if we spend time with them, we just naturally, maybe not even on their side, but we're kind of seeing things from their point of view. And so when the detective goes to interview Norman and he just keeps fucking up in his line, I'm just like, Norman, why Norman, you could have just said she came and went and they would have just, they never would have thought twice about it, but you fucked up Norman. The detective gets curious uh, he tells Lila that he's going to go interview the mother because Norman was doing a shitty job lying about how there was no mom, but then she's there, but then can't see her and stuff. It, it, you see Norman super vulnerable in that moment. The detective goes to the house. He doesn't get very far. He gets to the top of the stairs, and there's a pretty 
iconic scene where he falls down the stairs after he gets stabbed. That whole thing is great. It's just really, it's not even a jump scare. You got to appreciate good horror when it's just this overhead shot. He's at the top of the stairs and this figure just comes darting out of the room and just stabs him. And it's just like, oh shit. And he dies. And, and that's pretty great. And, and the movie it does a good job trusting the audience at that point where it just immediately cuts to Norman dumping his car in the lake. And we totally understand everything that's happened at that point. I was happy it didn't linger on that too much, but then it just kind of becomes the Sam and Lila show after that. And it's just boring after that. Like it says, let's see here. Um, detective gets murdered. Sam goes to the motel. Literally nothing happens. Sam and Lila go see the sheriff. The sheriff's just basically, he tells them, uh, he's harmless. He calls Norman. He's like, uh, Norman, your detective's more, you should worry more about him. He probably figured out where Marion went and ran off after her. So you should, you should check that out. And, but he does drop, I didn't realize this because, again, I, I didn't remember this movie very well or I'd never even quite seen it all the way through. It's this scene where the sheriff drops that Norman Bates' mom died. He, he tells the whole story about how she uh, poisoned her lover's uh, food because she thought he had a wife still and then she killed herself. And so at this point, especially if you're a first time viewer and you don't know where it's going, especially back in you know the 60s or whatever, uh, oh shit, Norman's mom is dead. But we've heard, we as an audience have heard him and her having a fight. We know there's another character. So who is it? And it's just, it's an interesting little tidbit. It, it really saves the movie at this point by, by feeding us that that little clue norman's mom died supposedly so now there's a whole other mystery that we as an audience are wrapped up in is this woman actually norman's mom is she some other woman did his mom not actually die what the fuck is going on with all this and so that's i appreciated that getting dropped problem is i know how it ends so that little tidbit doesn't really make me get too invested in the movie. I don't really care about solving that mystery. I, I'm curious how that played for people when they first watched it. It's it's a good instinct. I, I think back in the day it was probably really well-placed. But for me, I just i am so uncompelled by Sam and Lila at this point. I'm just like, bleh. Um, we, get, we get a fun scene where Norman moves his mother to the basement. Um, <laughs> I, I have this weird memory of, of the movie. I feel like... Maybe I watched like snippets of it with my family when I was young because I remember the you want to move me to the fruit basement, huh? You want to put me down there? You think I'm fruity, huh? Like, I love that line. You think I'm fruity? You think I'm fruity? <laughs> I kind of would have liked to see Anthony Perkins, even if it was dubbed, just do the voice once because the voice is just so insanely different from his. And, and they never show him actually doing the voice, but it's just so bizarre to think that it, it makes me wonder if, if the voice is because the voice isn't in his head because Marion overhears him arguing with her. So the, it's clearly a voice that he's doing, but he never actually does it. And I was just like, damn it. I, could, I couldn't remember if he ever actually talks as mother in the movie and he doesn't. And I was kind of disappointed by that because that voice is insane. Um, it's clearly not him. I, I didn't actually look at the credits, but presumably that voice is credited to somebody. We get the church scene. We just got a bunch of bullshit with Sam and Lila. Sam and Norman have a sli slightly in interesting conversation, but 
Um, it's it's not great. It's just kind of tense where Sam's trying to out macho Norman and Norman just doesn't quite give a shit. I, I feel like me watching that scene, I was like, this guy could just stab you, Sam. What the fuck are you doing? Puffing your chest out and acting like you're fucking hard. You fucking suck, Sam. Sam sucks. Lila kind of sucks, too. They all suck. Yeah. I just realized as I was saying that, I just kind of wish Norman had killed everybody. <laughs> kind of wish Norman had won. That's the character I was rooting for the most at this point. Uh, Norman realizes that Lila snuck into the house. He smashes Sam over the head, which I enjoyed seeing Norman smash Sam over the head. Get the big reveal. Lila goes in the basement and reveals that Mother's dead. She's just a corpse. Norman comes in. He's smiling like a fucking crazy person he's just got this crazy ass grin on his face and he raises the knife and he's got his his little sweater on and he goes to go down the stairs and then fucking sam comes in and ruins everything by grabbing norman's wrist and it's just that scene's insane and there's some good there's some interesting thematic stuff too because sam kind of rips uh norman's wig off and his his sweater off and it seems like the more norman loses the clothing that he wears to be mother he kind of becomes more defenseless in a way he just has this weird look on his face as sam is wrestling and that 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 whole the choreography of that is kind of insane it seems like norman just kind of gives up because as soon because he can't really thrash around too much He, he seemed like it seemed like anthony perkins would have actually won that struggle and he was having to hold back a lot while sam just kind of like held his wrist limply and was like uh, and then it just kind of ends and it just smash cuts to this scene where the psychiatrist explains everything that was going on with, with Norman Bates, that he had the mother personality and then he actually killed his mom. And I kind of remember if he, what, what had actually happened to the mom and they kind of just con- they confirm it at the end that the exposition scene's really conflicting for me because it goes on way too long, but I get why it's there. Especially audiences back in the day. Not to say that people that were born 60 years ago were stupid, even though they probably were. Uh, That's a pretty harsh judgment to cast across an entire decade of people, but fuck it. Um, I I get why the scenes in the movie is there to wrap everything up and just make sure that test audiences weren't confused by by what was going on at the end of the movie. But it's too fucking long and it's too fucking weird. And... It also just doesn't hold up very well. There's a whole section where they're like, oh, he was a transvestite, huh? And he's like, well, no, he wasn't a transvestite. Uh, it's just a, the, the guy playing a psychiatrist is just okay. The, honestly, the, the biggest kick, the biggest kicks I got out of the scene were confirming that Norman killed uh, his his mom and, and the lover. So you, you, you get a little sense that Norman's backstory was even more twisted than you originally realized because he... His mom clearly doted on him a little too hard, and then when she stopped, he took it really personally. And, and they get into that in future movies in, in an interesting way. I, I think that whole thing is interesting. Um, and, and the thing that I kept getting a chuckle out of was uh, poor Lila's just sitting there on the couch. She has to ask like three times, so she's just like, 
So Marion is actually dead, right? And the psychiatrist is like, oh, yeah, no, she's dead. Anyway, about Norman, the mother character, and he just is going on and on. And just, and Lila, poor Lila, just has to sit there and listen to this guy fucking blather for forever. And she just, so she's dead, but he's like, yeah, sorry, she's dead. I mean, she's probably, if you look in the lake or whatever, it's fine. Well, what happened to the money? Eh, eh fuck it. The money's in the swamp. Who gives a shit? Uh, that whole thing is insane. And, and the movie ends, ends well with a great little push in on Norman as the mother voice talks and he he, he does a great job there's because you can tell who the stars of this movie are you got Perkins and you got you got Janet Leigh or Lee or however you pronounce her name and and they're they're doing great work in this movie there's scenes with with Janet Marion or whatever you want to call her she, I mean she's just driving and there's VO going on and she's just doing great work with her face there's this great moment I remember I wrote it down. Um, there's there's people on her tail, and they're kind of talking about how oh, you trust her and stuff. And she starts to kind of smile a little bit while she's driving, and it's really it just I'm like, yeah, you go, girl. It's just a good moment. And then and then with uh, Anthony Perkins at the end, as we're pushing in on him, he just kind of looks crazier and crazier. The uh, the fly lands on his hand. I'm not even gonna touch the fly. Just let them watch. I hope they're watching. And he smiles. He's got a little blanket wrapped around his his shoulders. And they do that interesting fade where they kind of put the skull over his face. And it's real good. And it just ends with this dark-ass shot of them pulling the uh, car out of the lake. And it's just like, oh, shit. Well, there's the fuck. And it's just over. It ends real good. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the second half of the movie drags super hard. I've already talked way longer than I meant to. I, I want to make these solo episodes not too long because I, I feel like even when I edit them, I get so tired of the sound of my own voice. I mean, I hate my own voice. Maybe other people get more out of this than I do. But yeah, let's... I mean, that's the end of the movie. And I didn't really say anything compelling about the movie. Goddamn. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, let's get into my score. Scoring this is hard. I didn't think about this at all coming into this. I'm going to take a drink real quick. I don't know. This is tough. I have my document pulled up that has my other scores on here. I'm trying to think of uh, what I gave other things. Okay, so I got Star Trek 2 on here. Gave that a 6. Billy Jack got a 6.5. This movie's definitely a lot better than Billy Jack. That makes things a lot easier. Superman 7. Um, Chinatown an 8.5. Okay, I think. Adaptation's an 8, though. Fuck, that's hard. Nah, okay. Hmm... Okay, yeah, I think I got it. Um, so, this movie is its really well shot. It, it doesn't stop being well shot at any point in the movie. The cinematography is good. The acting, I mean, the acting from Perkins and, and, and Lee, Lay, I don't, I don't know which one it is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it's good. Uh, the story is interesting. There's, there's good themes. I, I like the themes because even though... The killer, uh, for all intents and purposes, I mean, the whole movie is called Psycho. And you could really just say, oh, he was just crazy and he did the murders. It still doesn't just leave it up to, oh, he was just crazy and people got murdered. You I, you really feel like you get where Norman Bates is coming from. You sympathize with him. Hell, I think at some point in this show, I, I said I wish he'd just murdered everybody in one. Uh, so I think... The movie does a good job of getting you to sympathize with certain characters, and and the tension's great. But the big thing with this movie is after the first hour, 
it drops off super hard and then it ends decently. There's some kind of good moments. The stuff with the detective getting murdered in the house and the, the sheriff stuff is fine. But anytime it's just Sam and and uh, Lila, it, it, the movie drags really hard. This movie could could probably be like 20 minutes shorter and it would be all right. So for that reason, I can't go too high on my score. I was thinking about giving it an 8, but... And then I was thinking about giving it a 7.5, but even that feels a little bit too much for how weak it gets in the back half. So I think a 7 is fair. I see why they were saying a thing about how maybe this isn't everybody's favorite Hitchcock movie, um, even though it's his most iconic movie. Because it's great, and I get why it's so iconic. And it's good, and I I like it, and I like Norman Bates a lot, and I like Marion's character a lot. And I'm really glad I finally just sat down and watched it, because I I get how this movie has influenced basically every filmmaker ever in a certain way. And it's a solid seven, and seven's a pretty good score for this show. Um, I gave Superman a seven. Honestly, that's probably too high of a score for Superman, so... Um, <laughs> but I don't really revise my scores on this show. Otherwise, I'd go back and change my Terminator scores. Throwing out a lot of episodes, and I have no idea when this one's going to come out, so this could be insane. I might just end up cutting all this. That's why I'm letting myself ramble so much, because it'll either be entertaining or I'll just cut all this. Won't that be fun? Hey, speaking of things I didn't think about, though, I didn't think about what the fuck I was going to actually recommend in terms of, uh, of movies that are similar to this. I'm actually going to pause because I have to think about it a little bit. Okay, so I just stared at my uh, shelf with all my DVDs on it for a while. And I kind of want to finish this episode up, so this might be a bit of a reach, but I was going to recommend this at some point anyway, so fuck it, I might as well do it here. My my connection is, the, the, the connection I made in my mind is, I was talking a lot about how I really like Norman Bates and I get where he's coming from, but we still have a good main character, and I get what her deal is too. So here's a movie that I defend a lot, and I will fight people on this. I think this movie is actually really good, um, and it's got a little bit of the same black humor, I think, that... People are going to think I'm insane for recommending this movie. I, I, I fucking love this movie, though. So, And I think it's a little bit more defensible nowadays because the woman that directed it, if you look at her body of work, she's a good fucking director. And you can see it in this movie, too. Uh, Karen Kusama. She's fucking great. Basically, everything she's ever made except for Aeon Flux is good. And, and even Aeon Flux, if you look at the production, it wasn't her fault why that movie sucks. Um, but I'm going to recommend Jennifer's Body. Um, <laughs> I love that movie. I love Jennifer's Body. I watch it. I've watched it plenty of times. I, I love it. I love the dark humor of it. I think Megan Fox is an incredibly underrated actor. I genuinely think that because she is as like good looking as she is, and in part of it is some of the roles she's taken aren't the best. But I've loved her in everything she's ever been in. She's in that fucking uh, Jonah Hex movie. She's great in that. She's good in in the Transformers movie. She's trying. She's like the only she's one of the only people in that movie that seems like they're trying hard. And she's one of the only characters in those movies that has any sort of character at all. She has like, like an actual character arc to some degree in those movies. And she finally just left because Michael Bay's probably an asshole and she was sick of his shit. Um I, I love Jennifer's body. It's funny. Uh it's got good dark humor in it. It, it, I, I, if you haven't seen it, if, if you've if you've been avoiding it because it's got bad word of mouth or whatever, you just go, oh, that's the weird movie where Jen, Jen, uh, Jennifer's body, oh, that's the movie where Megan Fox does the thing and it's Amanda Seyfried or whatever. I fucking love that movie and I 
highly recommend it. I, it's been on my, I have sort of a short list of, of dumb movies that I love that I've been meaning to recommend for a while, and that's very high on the list. So it's it's a horror movie. This is a horror movie. It's a fairly easy connection to make. I'm just going to go for it. Jennifer's Body is great, and you should watch it. And if you don't like it, feel free to yell at me. I don't give a shit. I'll take it. I'll, if I could introduce even one other person to that movie and make them like it, I'd be happy. This 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 stupid ass show would be worth it. I know it's a pretty strong statement, but hey, might as well make strong statements right at the end, right? Uh, I don't know. It's late. I really should have stopped this twenty minutes ago. Um, I was supposed to go to my friend's house, and now I'm going to be rushing to get through there. I'm going to cut all of this out. But hey, thank you so much for joining me as I slurred my way through talking about the movie Psycho, an iconic movie that a dipshit like me has no business discussing. But thank you for listening anyway, if somehow you made it to the end of this. You're the fucking best, and I thank you. And uh, that'll do it for me, and uh, I'll catch you... On the flip flop later.